literally, if anything like that happened to any smaller independent financial advisor business, they would be basically out of business in, in one shot. Welcome to the All Things Retirement Podcast with certified financial planner, Anthony Alpha. Here's your host, Ben George. Thanks for joining us on All Things Retirement with Anthony Alpha, certified financial planner and founder at Cardinal Wealth Group. Right there, their office in Cherry Hill. We're talking today about Roth conversions. It is a very trendy kind of strategy in recent years. It's really kind of moved up the list. And it's really kind of come to the front here with the SECURE Act coming out and it becoming a kind of a strategy to offset some of the changes that were made. So we're going to dive into Roth conversions quite a bit today with Anthony. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Glad to uh, glad to catch up again with you. How's, uh, how's business doing? Business is going well. It's a, certainly a busy time of year between the tax season and just everyone's New Year's resolution to get financially fit and things like that. So definitely a typically more busier time of year than, say, the summer. Yeah. And with it being tax season, I guess it kind of makes sense to talk Roth conversions because that's a, a way to kind of avoid some of the tax burden down the road. So it sure. kind of fits perfectly for with, with the time of the year we're at. But I want to start today with a little headline. Get your reaction to some news that's out there in the financial world. And this one uh, is is one that's kind of made a lot of people kind of raise an eyebrow and, and really talk about uh, this this fine. But former Wells Fargo CEO, John Stumpf, has been barred from the banking industry and he must pay a $17.5 million fine because of his connection to the scandal that came to light a few years back. Uh, during that scandal, the bank was creating millions of fake bank accounts to meet sales quotes and to hit bonus goals and that sort of thing. But pretty crazy. I mean, is that 17.5 really even a drop in the bucket? I don't really think it is. <laughs> if you're getting about uh, 30 to $40 million a year in, in bonus money, and I'm not sure how many years he was at the helm, but I'm sure it's that's all it is, is about a drop in a bucket. It still astonishes me how a lot of the Wall Street firms who have done things similar to this are still considered in a lot of ways the most trusted names or hang, that, you know, hang their shingle out there as being in the corner and doing right, have the big sponsors to corporate events. If any small business did something like this, they would be shut down immediately. They wouldn't be able to even handle that. And right. I come across people all the time with Wells Fargo accounts, and it's not something that I would typically bring up, but I'm just astonished if I was banking there, I would probably be less inclined to keep my money there with practices like that. So still astonishes me, but it, it doesn't surprise me because I you know, certainly see it on a regular basis with people having their accounts at places like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the whole idea is to work with somebody that's looking out for your best interest. And you got to think if somebody's <laughs> worried about hitting sales numbers and making fake accounts, how worried about you are they, you know? Precisely. <laughs> Literally, if anything like that happened to any smaller independent financial advisor business, they would be basically out of business in, in one shot. Yeah. Crazy story, but uh, it's definitely one that people are talking about here recently. So let's uh, jump into our main topic today. And before I do, let me remind you, you can find all of the past episodes and everything we've talked about, plus everything we go we talk about moving forward can be found on cardinalwg.com. That is the website for Cardinal Wealth Group. You can also call Anthony and his team at 609-605-2808. 
and uh, set up an appointment uh, to sit down and talk about Roth conversions, which is our topic today. And it's it's a good one. I think it's something that a lot of people are curious about if they haven't maybe considered doing this yet. But you know, the idea of a Roth conversion is intriguing to a lot of people. And for some people, it's a great strategy, one that you might want to look at, but maybe it's not always the case for everybody. So we want to explore that concept of Roth conversions today on this episode. So let's begin, Anthony, just really basic and, and just kind of explain what a Roth conversion is for people that maybe have heard it, but don't know exactly how it works. Sure. So that's basically where you're going to take money that might be in your IRA, 401k type of account where you've never paid any taxes on that money yet. And you've actually gotten a tax deduction that for putting the money into that IRA or 401k account. And the idea behind the Roth conversion is to proactively actually pay your taxes on that money and shift it into what's called a Roth IRA type of account. And the Roth IRA account, the benefit there would be that the money, though you're paying your taxes now, all future gains going forward would grow in a tax-free manner. So the easiest, I think, way to for people to recognize or, or mostly aware is that at some point down the road, usually at age 72 now, you have to start taking your money out of the IRA or your 401k to pay the taxes that you've never paid on any of that IRA 401k money. And so in some instances, it can make a lot of sense to you know, pay the taxes before it's actually due and actually move it into a Roth IRA instead of it just coming out as a required minimum distribution. Okay. That makes sense. And this is different too. I mean, because people might've heard of a Roth contribution, but this a contribution and conversion are two totally different things, right? That's a great point. So certainly a Roth contribution is going to be where you are typically allowed to put up to six or seven thousand dollars a year, depending on your age, or if it's a Roth 401k, you know, closer to nineteen thousand dollars and with a potential catch up. And you obviously would need to have some type of earned income in that year to be able to make a contribution. Whereas a Roth conversion, you're able to convert any amount of money currently out of your IRA-like account and convert it to a Roth IRA without any income limits. You don't have to have any income that year and you can do as much or as little as you want in that year. So that's a good point to bring up to differentiate the two. Yeah. And I ask because, you know, for some people, the Roth contribution and opening up a Roth account is not an option because you make too much money. So, you know, why I would assume that the Roth conversion might be especially helpful for people that are high income earners. Is that right? It's certainly something for high income earners to think about when you're thinking about where you're currently at in a tax standpoint today. So one of the main reasons that people would do a Roth conversion is if you're kind of fearful of higher taxes in the future. So if you ask somebody in your IRA, how much money do you have there? And let's just say that there's $500,000 in that account. Well, technically that's not all theirs because they actually haven't paid their taxes on that yet. And so we make some type of projection in the future and assume perhaps what the tax rate could be. But with the stroke of a pen, that can certainly change as it recently you know, has back in 2017. And so for higher income earners, 
who maybe are in the 30% bracket area, they could be concerned about that money being taxed at you know 40% in the future. Mm-hmm. But I will also say it's not just a high income earners plan. It can also be people that are in the 22, 24, or, or 12% tax bracket as well. I would say it's all relative, kind of staying in your own lane, if you will, in terms right. of where you're at. It's okay. rel- relative to each person individually. Yeah, definitely. And you should always consult a professional to figure out if it works for your situation because you know we speak generally about these things, but you might fall under the criteria, it might seem like, but upon further inspection, and maybe it isn't something for you. So always consult someone like Anthony, uh, who is a certified financial planner to figure out if it makes sense. You know, the way that we do it here is that we basically look at somebody's current situation in terms of where they're at, whether they're working or not, and determine how much taxes they are currently paying and how they're, you know, receiving money. And then we're going to look at it in the future when things are expected to change. For example, maybe they retire, they're planning to retire in a few years, or maybe that they're having required minimum distribution start, uh, or maybe they're starting a pension or social security. So as you add you know, new incomes or take away old incomes, your tax rate you know, can change. And there can be some type of difference. For example, maybe you're in the 22% bracket today, you're planning to retire, and you're going to be in a 12% bracket in a couple years. Well, it may make some sense to consider in that type of situation to maybe do some conversions at that time at the 12%. And you might look at it when you turn 72 and you have to start taking requirement on distributions and maybe you're back up to 22%. So you now you really have a place where it's showing that it's you know good consideration. The other point is not just what current tax rates are today, is also for people who are, and this is really common, 60 to 90% of all their money is in IRA-like accounts, whether that's 401ks or 403bs or 457 plans and stuff like that. If you have 60 to 90% of all your money in there, I would just want to think through that from a risk management standpoint and get an idea of what your thoughts are in terms of the chances of taxes increasing in the future. Because you look at it today, everyone thinks they're always getting crushed with taxes. You know, I get that. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to pay anymore. But if you look at it from a historic standpoint, we're in one of the lower tax rate times of our history. And it's tax rates have been much higher previously, back in the 70s and, and 40s, where it's been a, a, a top rate of 90 and or 70%. So I'm not saying that that's where we're going anytime soon or that we'll ever go back that way. But certainly if it were in one of the lower areas, it's worth considering, could it actually get higher? And that's where you can also make the case where you know, maybe there's not a big change in your current income situation between now and say retirement or when you take RMDs. But maybe it's just a good time to take some risk off the table and shift some of that money and pay the taxes before it's actually due instead of basically being taxed forever at whatever rate the government is going to decide in the future, if that makes some sense. Yeah, it does. And I'm glad you kind of clarified how that process works and kind of what you're looking at when you uh, have that, that meeting with a client. Do you guys talk about Roth conversions a lot? I mean, is that something that comes up in meetings quite a bit with you, like from the client side, or is this something maybe that you bring to their attention more so? It's a part of our 
financial planning process. So as one of the areas that we focus on is handling the tax planning. And from where I sit, if I had like three things to say in terms of for a typical retiree to be considered about, it's certainly you know bad timing and retiring at a time where the market's really going to drop. And obviously, nobody has a crystal ball there. Long-term care or healthcare planning is something else that is a concern to me. But the third one would be you know taxes in the future. And again, nobody has that crystal ball. But if we're looking at a lot of people who are coming in with a good amount of their money in the IRA, we're making a large assumption there that the rates are going to be the same. So you know, it might be worth something to think about whether we want to maybe proactively reduce some of that risk. I mean, when you look at you know tax revenue and and what it's used for, we have you know social security, which is certainly a big one, and that's you know if you're looking at your statements, it's basically saying it's underfunded. And you know when Social Security started, it was back in like 1945. The average life expectancy was 65, and the start date of Social Security was age 65. So they didn't expect you to collect that very long. And now it's you know we're living well into the 90s and age 100, which is great, but it's putting a lot of stress on Social Security. And then. We certainly have some issues with Medicare and Medicaid where that's under a lot of stress and it could be, you know, it's a bit underfunded as well. And if you think about it, there's 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day. And that's projected to happen for the next, I think, 12 years or so. And that's basically a lot of people going from their highest earning years, which creates tax revenue because you get taxed based off of your income, to them now becoming eligible for Social Security and Medicare. So they're basically going from a high income earner to now a liability to the government for Social Security and Medicare, which they're totally inclined because you've been paying all that money into it. But we're losing revenue there as a basically as a country, which is now really putting stress on us. And we, we mm-hmm. continue to build up debt each year because our budgets aren't balanced, we are actually running a, a deficit of about a, you know, close to a trillion dollars a year when we have like a 22 or $23 trillion call it country credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And the interest there, right, is getting larger and larger. And so those are some of the reasons why if I'm a retiree and this, we're talking about this every day with our clients is saying, those are some compelling reasons why it could increase in the future to be able to pay for that, right? They can certainly yeah. cut benefits, but I think that's a hard thing to sell to retirees and and less fortunate people. And it's kind of political suicide in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I think another alternative you're going to see is potentially raising rates at some point. And that's why we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. So, well, I mean, it, it looks like this is a pretty good option for a lot of people, but kind of give me an example of someone that maybe wouldn't benefit as much from a Roth conversion. Certainly. And it's not a case where everybody, it makes sense. Because if you're doing it in a situation where it doesn't make financial sense, mathematical sense, now we've basically done wealth deconstruction and that's no good either. So if you're somebody, for example, who really doesn't think that rates are ever going to increase or or you think that they're going to drop, certainly doesn't make sense for that person to do Roth conversions. Or if you're somebody who can never pay a tax that's not 
do. A lot of us have been taught that, whether it's by advisors, family members, or accountants, to just always never pay a tax that's not due. That might be pretty difficult for somebody. If you're somebody who's currently working and you're in the 22% or 24% bracket, and when you look at it, when you're going to retire, you're going to drop down to the 10 or 12% bracket. Well, that that's a big difference. The 12 to 22% jump is 80 an 84% increase. So I'd be hesitant to encourage somebody to do any type of Roth conversion who looks like they're going to be dropping down from 22 to 12. And, you know, kind of the same thing for somebody who might be in the 32 or 35% bracket, who's expected to maybe drop down to the 22 or 34% bracket, which is, I think, somewhere like a 34% change there. So those are some of the uh, situations that you can consider. And also, if you need the money tomorrow or within the next five, six, seven years, well, it probably doesn't make sense to do that Roth conversion because you're going to just spend that down sooner than later. So those are some of the scenarios where it might not make as good of sense. Okay. Well, let's wrap up the conversation with this. I mean, I know if somebody's thinking about making this this move or, or considering a conversion, what are a couple of mistakes they need to kind of be on the lookout for? What are some things that you see happen uh, maybe more frequently than others when people are doing Roth conversions? Well, certainly what I you know just had mentioned was basically doing that Roth conversion at the wrong time and doing too much where they're going to be jumping into another tax bracket. And you know, the Roth conversion money is the last money that you're going to be taxed on. So being in a progressive tax system, those last dollars are taxed at the highest amount. So you just want to be aware of where you're currently at. And we typically do most, most of our Roth conversions in the third and fourth quarter so that we have a better idea of what people have made thus far that year. You have more information and less guessing work to do. Certainly making sure that you're going through this paperwork process if you're trying to jump from a 401k and doing a Roth conversion. Most of the time, we recommend people actually moving the money from their 401k, if that's what it's in, to an IRA, then doing the Roth conversion from there. So you're not going to be doing it right from your company plan as opposed to your own individual plan. But, you know, so from a kind of carrying out the strategy, I think those are the two main situations where people maybe shouldn't or make sure that their their process is accurate and, and in the right manner. Or else you could, you know, leave yourself up to some type of penalty or just paying more in taxes than what you really should have. Yeah, and that's something we all want to avoid for sure. So if you have uh, any more questions about this, and and it, we got a lot of good information out of Anthony on this topic today, but there's always you know conversations that are more specific to your situation that you could have with a financial professional, uh, someone like Anthony who's a certified financial planner. You know, reach out to Cardinal Wealth Group. You can find them online at cardinalwg.com and uh, set up a time to sit down and, and figure that out and, and see if it works for you. And you can also while you're there, they've got a tax free retirement toolkit online. You can pick that up as well. You know, this tax being tax season and with this strategy about maybe minimizing some of your tax uh, obligations, that's a great tool and resource for you on their website. Well, let's answer a couple email questions before we get out of here on this episode. Yeah, I'll, I'll, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ben, but I'll, we also have a um, 
two retirement courses coming up, which we do spend a good amount of time on the tax topic. Okay. And that's going to be on the uh, at the end of March, March 31st and uh, March 4th. So that can all be found on our website and they can just give us a call and we can you know get them into a class if they want. Yeah. And if you listen to these down the road and, and miss the dates, obviously you can find any information on upcoming seminars and classes right there on the website as well. So, you know, if you miss this, this go around, there will be more in the future. So check it out at cardinalwg.com. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right. Closing it out with a couple of mailbag questions. Again, if you have any questions, you're always welcome to send them in through the website. We'll be happy to bring them on the show and try to answer them for you. We've got a couple we'll get to here before we close out the episode. The first one comes in from Buddy. He says, I have a several thousand dollars of company stock that I'd like to cash in to make a down payment on some land where I'll eventually build a vacation home. Is there any reason I shouldn't do that? Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a question that I think requires a little bit of planning. It's not always a terrible idea to you know kind of look at all available resources to determine which is the best to use. But going with this, I think the main thing that people need to just be aware of when it comes to using company stock is some of the tax consequences surrounding it. And uh, I know we've really been hammering uh, tax topics so far today, but you got to understand if that company stock is going to be involved with any what's called the NUA rules, which is the net unappreciated rules where basically when you were awarded these shares, if you were to take them out, you might pay all ordinary tax rates on that, which could be higher than what you would have to actually pay, uh, where there's this NUA rule that you can actually take advantage of where you're able to take out a portion of the gains in that stock at uh, capital gains rates, which in a lot of cases for most people is going to be a more preferable tax rate. It's going to be a lower tax rate. And there's some unique rules surrounding that. And you just want to make sure you follow that through. So let's just say, for example, you had $50,000 of, of company stock. Well, if you just take it out and NUA rules apply, you're going to want to certainly talk with your advisor or talk with your company to see if the rules apply. But if you were to take the $50,000 out, it would be like you made $50,000 extra money that year, which can certainly you know increase your tax rate on an ordinary tax rate basis. However, if NUA rules do apply, then let's just say that when you received that stock, it was worth $25,000 and the other twenty-five portion was gains of which it grew from the time that it was awarded to you. Well, that would allow you to actually only pay 25000 in ordinary taxes on the twenty five that was awarded to you and then pay long-term capital gains rates, which could be at you know 10 or 15% for some people on the other 25%. So there's a good amount of savings to be had there for a lot of people. So that's just something that I would want to make sure if you're going to use that, if you're able to take advantage of. Hope that answers your question, buddy. Again, look for, uh, you know, reach out for more information because your situation, there's obviously a lot of things that go into really giving you a complete answer. So uh, reach out and get more on that. Miles, our next question, writes in, says, I've worked with a couple of different financial advisors over the years and I like them both. Do I need to pick just one or the other 
or is it okay to work with a couple different people? I think that having more is not always better. And the reason is there's a lot of ways to do financial planning or retirement planning. And I don't want to say it from a, you know, a lot of people like to have more brains, uh, two brains is better than one, more information to make decisions. But I think sometimes that can also complicate it and make decisions harder. And when other people are aware that you're also seeking advice from another advisor, that can also make that relationship a little bit complicated at times. I, you know, I like to think of it, I play a decent amount of golf and I like to get lessons from a golf instructor, but I typically would never get golf lessons from more than one person because there's a lot of different ways to swing the golf club. And, you know, maybe it grows old with that instructor and then you move on to, to somebody else. And I would say kind of the same philosophy with regards to having a financial advisor, again, them all things being equal, right? I'm not talking about a situation where you have one person's your insurance guy and right. another person's the investment person. I'm, I'm assuming in this question that they are both do the same exact thing and you're trying to figure out if it makes sense to work with one or both. I, I just think it makes it simpler to work with one. Yeah, I like that analogy of a, of a coach. You know, you wouldn't want to work with somebody that, you know, they're all trying to get to the same place, but they have two different ways of going about it. You know? That's right. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, thanks for that question, Miles. If you ever have a question, anything on your mind that you want to have answered, you can always reach out to us through the website, cardinalwg.com. While you're there, a lot of great resources, info on upcoming seminars, and also all of our past episodes archived right there on the website as well. So you can go back and listen to anything we've talked about previously or whatever we talk about as we move forward. And make sure you hit subscribe as well while you're there. Uh, whatever podcasting platform you use, hit subscribe. You'll have the next one delivered right to you. And we'd appreciate that as well. So Anthony, we'll close it out on that topic. I think Roth conversions is a very important one. And if anybody has any questions about that or wants to see if it works for them, they should need to reach out to you and sit down and, and figure it out. That'd be great. Well, thanks for listening to All Things Retirement. Another new episode coming soon. So hit subscribe and we'll talk to you then. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.